0: we are simply going to be looking at the first half of 2 John and looking at two points. The first point we want to make this morning is know the truth from verses 1 to 3. Know the truth. And this is what he says, The elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy and peace from God and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. We don't have, just a, a small detail, you might have picked up already, we don't have the words up there so you're going to have to go to the old fashioned Open Your Bibles or, or, or your smartphones and, and, and follow the readings there, okay? It should be obvious that if we are going to be discussing truth, that we should know it. What is truth? The truth is the gospel. The gospel is truth and it's... We know the gospel as good news, but in fact... The gospel contains bad news as well, doesn't it? First of all, the bad news. We are all sinners and the penalty for sin is death. We have to tell the full gospel, right? That's the bit that people don't want to hear. The good news is that God sent his son Jesus in the flesh to die for our sins. By repenting of our sins, we can be saved through faith in Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the gospel truth as described in his word, the Bible. Now, truth can be known. It is objective. It is not what I wish were true or feel is true that determines what is true. It has already been determined even before the creation of the world. What was true then will be true today and into eternity. Truth does not change. It doesn't change according to opinion polls and what is fashionable today. Truth is the true north, like a compass. It needs a true north so we know how to travel, how to navigate through this life. Go back to the letter. At the very start of the letter, John does not call himself by name, but refers to himself as the elder. The original recipients of this letter, they knew who the elder was and they also knew who the chosen lady was. Some say, some scholars are saying that uh, she was a real lady, most likely though, the chosen lady is a metaphor for the church. Let's recall that how in the New Testament the church is pictured as the bride of Christ. And John says that he loves the lady and her children. Who are the children? You know, he loves the church to whom he's writing as a whole, but the children are the individual members who are, who are part of that church. Her children. They are the ones who make up. This church, the elder, he wasn't young anymore, was he? By this stage, he was the last of the apostles to be still alive. And there must have been deep respect with which the early Christians would have viewed him. He actually walked and talked with Jesus even among the rest of the early Christians, the number of those who had actually seen Jesus was dwindling down. There weren't many left. It's like today, for example. We, it's, it's getting harder and harder to find those who have fought in the Second World War, for example. They're dying out. It's a, a great generation. But they are going. They're leaving us. That's the way life is. In John 21, in our series, you would have recalled how Jesus hinted that John was going to live a long time. There was even a rumour that John would never die and that's actually spoken of in John 21. But he he eventually did, obviously. Interestingly, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the, the life... Of the the two sons of Zebedee. Who were the sons of Zebedee? They were James and John. And the life of the two sons of Zebedee would be like bookends of the apostolic age. Why do I say that? Because his brother James was the first of the disciples to die by the sword. And then John his brother would be the last. Isn't that the way that God designed it? And like the other apostles, they laid down their lives for the truth of the gospel. How, how much the sons of thunder, they were known as as well, how much they grew and progressed through this very difficult time but God used their ministry powerfully, even in death. Now the New Testament has a lot to say about truth versus heresy, and, and the warnings against false doctrine start in Matthew and end in Revelation. It is truly you can't miss it. Is a, a truly a major theme of the New Testament. A couple of centuries later, Saint Augustine said. When regard for truth has been broken down or even slightly weakened, all things will remain doubtful. And we find that that's happening today. There was a time when men debated passionately about the truth. Today we argue on whether absolute truth even exists and that's no accident. As a result, we, no, we are no longer sure how to determine right from wrong. They call it postmodernism, when what's true for you might not be true for me. And, and, and some say, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Gee. Well, that's not true. I'll just give you, there are so many examples where you can come up with, but uh, 1978. 1978, 900 people died in Guyana because they sincerely followed the orders of their cult leader, Jim Jones. Were they sincere? Yeah. Were they wrong? Fatally, Yes. Truth is of such importance for John that he refers to it in his books and in his letters. We, of course, remember how at Jesus' trial, Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Remember that? And, And never, Pilate never waited to hear the answer, even though the answer was right in front of him. And here he actually mentions truth five times in the first four verses. That is no accident. And to John's readers, the truth, and to us, the truth was, is the teaching handed down from the apostles. To us, it is the word of God written, revealed in the Bible. I was listening to uh, part of the political scene in the US at the moment. It's all about the elections, of, of course, um, in the US. And uh, Democratic candidate Joe Biden rec- recently said, he said, we choose truth over facts. Now, at first I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know what he meant. So I had to have a look. I had to, okay, well because you see, like most, I assume that truth and facts refer to the same thing. But there is a difference. There is a difference. So let, let let's how is it different? Well, firstly let me illustrate from construction or building. The difference between facts and truth is similar to the difference between a pile of bricks and a house. Isolated facts are like single bricks scattered all over the place. You don't know what you're going to do with it, right? You could be making a garden path or you could be making a cathedral. The same bricks. So these facts are like fragments of information random, isolated bits of trivia that you can't do much with unless you're playing something like Trivial Pursuit. What are you going to do with all the information in your brain? Truth, on the other hand, is about meaning. How will you live your life? How will you build your life around those facts how will you organize all those facts to build something that is cohesive your world view it's about meaning it's bringing all those bricks together and saying this is what i believe secondly let me move from building let's move to the courtroom where Discerning truth is a matter of interpreting the facts. In a courtroom setting, the same facts are available to both the prosecution and the defence. Each lawyer has to construct his evidence. But this does not mean that both sides are right. There is still only one truth. It is the judge's or the the jury's duty to get to this single truth by connecting all the facts and present their judgement. And this is an important point because this is why John told us in his Gospel that Jesus is the the very embodiment of truth. He said that in I'm the way, the truth and the life, John 14.6. And then the Apostle Paul, he gives us this absolutely marvellous description of Christ in Colossians. And and this is what he said, he says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Colossians 1.7.8 In other words... It is not just a bunch of isolated random facts scattered all over the place. In Christ, it all comes and holds together perfectly. How heresy starts is that it starts to chip away at the truth. Not destroying it, not blowing it up, but by yeah, you know, and, and and top and bottom and chipping away at different aspects. And and because you see, if it was a full-on attack, then people would wake up and say, "Bang!" and that that's it. That's that's a big red light right there. Big warning. But it's so easy to get sidetracked, to go on a tangent by by listening to some of the, the, the ways in which even today, very dangerously, you, you pick up different isolated verses from the Bible and, and you join with other isolated verses, pull them. Out of context, remember Ted was telling us last week about context? And and then you find yourself, hey, I'm supposed to be there and you're there, moving further and further away from the truth. There's a story of the devil walking along with one of his cohorts. He's got many. And they saw a man ahead of them picking up something shiny. And what did he find, asked the cohort. A piece of the truth, the devil replied. And doesn't it bother you that he found a piece of the truth? No, said the devil. I will see to it that he makes a religion out of it. For the true believer who hungers for truth, the promise is that this, it says here in verse 2, it says that this truth which lives in us and will be with us forever, it lives in us and will be with us not just now while we're alive, but forever, into eternity. It is the same consistent truth. That's a wonderful promise. And we get to know this truth not only through his word, but also what John called it, the spirit of truth in John sixteen thirteen, who will guide us into all truth. The spirit of truth guides us into all the truth. But it is not enough just to know the truth We also need to walk in the truth. Verse 4 It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love. That we walk in obedience to His commands, as you have heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk in love. John rejoiced when he found some of the children walking in the truth. In other words, they were living out their Christian faith as they should have been. You see, this this Christian life is. A journey, a journey to a faraway land, a journey that is made up of many small steps, one after the other. The thing is, you must be on the right narrow track that leads to the narrow gate. And in the book of Acts, these early Christians were called followers of, of what? The way. The way. We are also followers of the way. The only way. Each step we take should be in obedience to truth. But the sad part of this verse is that not all were walking in the truth because John says some were walking in the truth. So obviously many were not. Just like today. Some follow Christ wholeheartedly while many are compromised and live like the rest of the world, like pagans. If if John mentioned truth five times in the first four verses, he then goes on to mention love five times in six verses, that's no accident either. And, and there is a perfect balance between these two concepts here then: truth and love. And, and notice how in verse four he says, "Walking in the truth," and in verse six, he says, "Walk in love." This is because ultimately, love and truth go together. Believers are to have a love that is not just mere words, but a love that is active and reaches out to others. Simply, uh, those who walk in the truth should be people who love others. And it is quite a challenge to to balance truth and love in all our relationships. Uh, It's interesting that when our society live closer to the, to the Christian ideal. Um, when going to church, when we had maybe even up to half the population in church on every Sunday, right? Uh, a lot of kids go to Sunday school, or brigades, youth group, all that. When society at large lived closer to the Christian ideal, I'm not saying they were Christians, but I'm saying they were living closer to the Christian ideal, that self-denial was par for the course. Many willingly enlisted for war. They changed their date of birth so they could scrape in. That happened in the First World War. Uh, This term in Australia, mateship, where do you think that comes from? Being able to help one another. Highly valued. And I asked today, what happened to and, and But what happening, what, what's happening is that the more a society moves further away from God, the more we tend to highlight the self. Today we hear about, we talk about self-made, self-improvement, self-care, self-esteem and with the arrival of technology we have found even more tools to feed our narcissistic urges with plenty of selfies. Technology also allows us to publish, not about the, remember the left hand, the right hand, not knowing what each other's doing, blowing the trumpet. Now is a time where no good deed goes unpublished. Some 53 years ago, the Beatles released a song called All You Need Is Love. Yeah, I know. It's already playing in your head, right? In some ways, don't we wish that that was true? All you need is love. It sounded nice and the tune was catchy, but the lyrics, have you you actually gone and read the lyrics? They don't actually say very much at all. Now, this is one of the lines, right? There's no way you can be that isn't where you are meant to be. It's easy. All you need is love, huh? Now, there's the truth, isn't it? I can build my life around this. What does it even mean? Oh We can thank John. Uh, we can thank God that John did not leave love undefined but described it as walking according to his commandments. Verse 6. This echoes the teaching of Jesus in John's Gospel where Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. Perhaps to this generation it might sound God. But love is not fundamentally about feelings, but about obedience to God's commands. If we say we love God, then we have to live His way and not our way. The call to obedience means love for God is shown in our love one another. If you say you love God, then we will love each other. In in John 14, there is this beautiful description of Jesus. He was what? He was full of grace and truth. In other words, perfectly balanced between truth and love and grace. Was Jesus loving? All the time. Uh, Did Jesus speak the truth? All the time, this meant that he had to say things which didn 't sound very loving, and it upset many religious leaders, but it was all for their own good if they were willing to listen, and some of them did and came to see him at night, for example, and the Bible says in Ephesians 4:15 it says speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even Christ uh, this is not easy as we know on the one hand if we emphasize only the truth we risk becoming hard and mean spirited this is an unloving way to speak the truth It will only alienate other believers and turn away the lost from Christ. Speak the truth without love. If we emphasise only love, we risk becoming soft and sentimental. We don't want to say anything because we don't uh, don't want to offend anyone. And, And so we start compromising the gospel. And excuse sin. or don't say anything because they're going to get upset. They get offended so easily, don't. Because of this, we seem to be doing everything but what we're called to do. Either we avoid speaking truth in fear of offending someone, or we speak truth so harshly that we don't display love at all. Let me conclude with another illustration. We've done building, we've done legal illustration, now I'm going to go to chemistry. There is a a chemical element, sodium. Sodium is an extremely active element found... Um, it's, it's never found uh, on its own, but it's only in combined form. That's how sodium is found. It always links itself to another element. Chlorine, on the other hand, is a poisonous gas that gives bleach its uh, strong odour. And you know chlorine if you're doing the pool. Now, when sodium and chlorine are combined, the result is sodium chloride, which is salt, table salt, the substance we use to preserve meat and to bring out its flavour. My meat, I love plenty of salt. Love and truth, you see, can be like sodium and chlorine. Love without truth is flighty. Sometimes blind, willing to combine with various ideas and doctrines. On the other hand, truth by itself can be offensive and damaging. Spoken without love, it can turn people away. But there is a way, there is a way to speak the truth in love that we should all seek. It is not always a soft way to speak. But it does ask what is the most helpful thing to say when everything is considered in love. Not out of revenge, not in anger, but in a measure, in a measured words, full of wisdom. So, while we all need love, love is not all we need. We need the truth. We also need the truth to live by because the truth will be with us into eternity. May God help us to live in truth and love. And next week, we look at the other half of this beautiful letter. Amen.